I sent you an article this weekend, Reed, about how Kraft Macaroni and Cheese is releasing a limited edition Valentine's Day mac and cheese, where it basically you take the regular, you know, bright neon orange mac and cheese, and they're including some kind of like candy additive to it so that it turns pink. Where have we gone? I don't understand how we've gotten to this place as a society. I like my steaks a little pink in the middle. Um, that's probably as far as I'll go. Whatever happened to the good old fashioned strawberries dipped in chocolate? I mean, what's wrong with just the heart shaped box that's red? Or um, you've got the little hearts. Those conversational hearts. You know, funny enough, the pink additive flavor to the Kraft Mac and Cheese are crushed up conversational hearts. That's awful. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 209 of your favorite podcast, Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Uh, Don't mind me. I'm just sitting over here eating the conversational hearts out of this little jar that we have right next to the microphone. I assume I'll get some of those at some point. I'm going to steer clear of things that normally wouldn't be pink. Like if they weren't pink last year, I'm certainly not going that direction this year. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. Thank you. Thank you for for tuning in. Thanks for uh, joining us for yet another episode of Touchpoint. Uh, We have done this now 209 times, Uh, not to mention the TPS 5s that come out on Friday. You may be asking yourself, what is a TPS 5? It's a small, short, very brief podcast or a news article that uh, Chris puts out on Fridays. It's in this very feed. And if you subscribe to our podcast, you'll also get notified for those. If you visit our website at touchpoint.health, you can check out a little bit more, catch up on some back episodes, check out other shows that are on the network, like Healthcare Insight for Marketers, The Morning Fix, Data Point, The Connected Hospital, The Exam Room. It just goes on and on. So check those out. Sign up also while you're there for the uh, TPS report. Uh, weekly email comes out every Monday morning, five news stories aggregated from around the industry by our show hosts here on the network, five quick reads. Kind of get you filled in on what's going on. Some quick links to things like uh, new episodes since the week before and all that kind of fun stuff. But go check that out. Sign up for it. We'd love to uh, love to have you. If you'd like to reach out to us, certainly you can do so through the website as well, as well as social media. We'll take a brief pause right here and be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose Reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. 
And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today, we're going to have another show about one of our favorite topics, Reed, three-letter acronyms, or TLAs. Here we go. My favorite, W-X-Y, L-M-N-O-P. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. It's all right. Anytime we, we start talking about marketing technology and the marketing tech stack, we can't avoid talking about our TLAs. There are so many TLAs that we use in this role as a digital marketer, isn't there? There really are. And you found uh, an article here that actually goes through quite a few of them. And it's from WME Group. It's uh, actually a website out of Australia, it looks like maybe. 35 digital marketing acronyms to know and understand. So I think this kind of sets the stage for a little bit for what we're going to talk about today and certainly the interview later on. But sometimes it's nice to just kind of reset on these. So we'll click through these, talk a little bit about them. I think most all of these have not all of them, you know, you probably use in your daily life as a marketer, but let's, uh, let's dig through. Well, the first two are very much related, and they're the three-letter acronyms of B2C and B2B. We've heard this before, Reed, right? It refers to a business model or a business that from a B2C, which stands for business to consumer, sells products directly to the consumer. And B2B refers to a business that sells products or services to other businesses. Why that's kind of important in our space is because with healthcare, when we do digital marketing, we do a little bit of both, right? We do outreach directly to the consumer, but we also reach out to maybe referring physicians or other interested third-party business entities to promote our health system. And this really plays certainly into the messaging like you're talking about or the audience, but a little bit around the audience and, and where the messaging may be is also kind of an interesting conversation. So we talk a lot about B2B platforms for what we do being things like LinkedIn, which that's pretty true for most everybody, but also Twitter. Twitter is a great B2B platform for most uh, healthcare brands, you know, because you're reaching peers, physicians, you're reaching other physicians, et cetera is not probably quite as clean of a B2C platform sometimes. So when we think about B2C, that's where we start talking about Facebook, right? You know, we're trying to do patient acquisition type activities in the B2C space or direct to consumer. Sometimes you'll hear it called or things like Instagram and Facebook and those types of things. So that's kind of how I think about those. Sometimes it's, it's a little more medium or platform specific. Let's track down a couple more uh, three-letter acronyms. Uh, th- these are kind of alphabetical, so we'll go through them in that way. CLV, which stands for Customer Lifetime Value, or uh, a definition, how valuable a customer is to your business over the duration of their time as a customer. Or things we can't measure in healthcare. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, that, that is an interesting one, and that is the holy grail, you know, because when you start getting to what is the ROI, another three-letter acronym we'll talk about here in a minute, that's really some of the things you need to know in a lot of cases to understand what the, you know, the value of some of your brand advocacy work and things like that are. Next on the list is CMS or content management system. I think our second episode of this show way back when, four years ago, was dedicated to that, which is basically the platform or technology that you use to manage the content on your website. Hence the name. 
Most people think of this in the open space world of like WordPress, for example, those that have kind of the open platform, WordPress, Drupal, et cetera. When you think about, you know, content management systems for hospitals, a lot of the licensed CMSs come to mind like Adobe, Sitecore, Sitefinity, things like that. So uh, CPA, something I never wanted to be. No, in this case, we're talking about uh, cost per acquisition. So again, I mentioned patient acquisition a second ago. You know, well, how much does it cost to acquire those patients? So how much are you paying to acquire? And so acquisition is is hard, and, and especially as we think about it, like what do we really mean by acquiring them? In the digital marketing sense, is it really more cost per lead or something like that? As we think about it, you know, we think about trying to get people to watch a video online or attend a, a virtual seminar these days and age. It used to be like to actually get people to you know, either RSVP or register for a seminar. Uh, so really, you know, what, what do we mean by acquisition? That becomes an important differentiator for us here. Related very closely, whenever you're talking about CPA, you often talk about CPC or cost per click which is the price an advertiser pays each time someone clicks on your ad, right? And it's generally linked with some digital advertising work that we do. But with cost per click, it's really more about paying for when they actually click. So often used with digital advertising on Google, on you know any kind of search engine type of advertising, as opposed to the opposite, which is CPM, which stands for cost per thousand. This is always the most confusing one to me because it was like, where did the M come from? But apparently they derived that from the Roman numeral M, which means a thousand. We think about this most commonly in the PPC or Google AdWords space. It's really how much are you spending for a thousand impressions on a particular ad or a campaign or something like that. So again, a lot of people think about success is it, you know, based on, you think about things like impression, then you go to conversion, the click piece, uh, and then the acquisition piece. So again, it's a funnel, certainly, and these are in alphabetical order. So we're talking about them a little bit in reverse, but cost per thousand impressions. Well, the next one is actually conversion rate optimization or CRO, which as you get more sophisticated, right, it is about how do you optimize the conversion. What are you going to do to improve the rate at which visitors are converting on your website? And this could involve things like, you know, making your call to actions easier to find or optimizing your content or, you know, creating uh, easier ways for people to actually make an appointment online. Any kind of activity you do around optimizing that conversion and the conversion rate is colloquially called CRO. Is it ironic the chief revenue officer, also the CRO. <laughs> and then now we're talking about the conversion rate optimization. I think not. <laughs> the next one, uh, CTAs, we hear about this all the time, call to action. Everybody talks about, you know, when you're doing a campaign, well, what's the CTA? So what, what are you asking people to do? Uh, your call to action, if you will. So do you want them to uh, dial a phone number, fill out a form, take a health risk assessment? What are you asking of them, right? Yep. Important. What do you want them to do? Click-through rate. Click-through rate applies to many different aspects of your digital marketing, but it's really about, it, it could be your website engagement statistics. It could be social media advertising, could be email marketing, but basically your click-through rate shows the percentage of traffic that actually 
clicks through to that next action, so to speak. And that's a really important measurement when you're looking to optimize your digital touch points. Okay, then we talk a lot about KPIs or key performance indicators. So really, what is it that we're measuring? How do we know what success is? This is where you get into goal setting and some of those types of things. So as we think about campaigns and different marketing activities we may undertake, the point of doing those, certainly, well, at least I hope we're talking about goals on the onset of putting out together campaigns and, and, and putting them out in the wild, you know, how we're then going to measure success is really tied back to these KPIs. So it's a quantifiable value. And I think that's important. I think we gloss over that sometimes of like, you know, how do we know this is successful? Well, if you can't measure it, I would argue that it's, it's probably not a KPI. I, I'm not saying it's not a success metric that somebody was happy, for example, or we checked the box or something like that. But a KPI certainly is is something that you can measure and track over time. Absolutely. And if you want to learn more about that topic, we've done a couple episodes on this very topic alone. So I remember two or three that we've done in our past, in the past four years. Okay, so the next one is PPC, which stands for paper clips. How many paper clips you have at your desk? <laughs> yes, right? <it> does. <laughs> zero. I have zero paper clips. I don't even know what I would use them for. Really, I would just unfold them. They're good ways to uh, scrape or clean stuff. Um, you know, yeah. your iPhone or a crack in your you know, yeah. Now I say that because I did once say paper click in a meeting, and someone did think I was saying paper clips. But anyway, paper clip is the advertising model that we are very familiar with here where we only pay when people click on the ad. So hence the name PPC. Yeah, most commonly Google AdWords, but that's not solely what that is. Now, I will say when most people say PPC, that's what they're referring to, right? Is Google AdWords specifically. But is kind of the whole Kleenex scenario. It's like all Kleenexes are Kleenexes, but all tissues are not Kleenexes or something. I don't know. SEO, search engine optimization. This is formally referred to as the method used to enhance a website's position in search engine results, most commonly Google, certainly, but search engines. How do we end up higher on the first page uh, without being in the ads spot, right? Without buying ads. This does not include any sort of paid efforts as far as the ad buy is considered not that you're not hiring people to do the work but you know you're not you're not buying ads and so a lot of this you think about on page and off page seo uh, so things you're doing on the site itself metadata things like that keywords etc off page seo is most commonly like inbound links yeah and this is how we know this uh, website was written by an australian company because they spell optimization with an s not a z oh i like that I do that as well, just not on purpose. <laughs> okay, uh, two other three-letter acronyms that are covered in this article that are pretty important. Probably the most important is return on investment or ROI. It's not just a marketing term, it's a business term. That's why that we reiterate all the time that you want to express ROI as a financial metric because that's what, how people use. So um, I think that's a good one, right? We don't want to underscore that or we don't want to um, downplay that one, right? We want to definitely talk about ROI. Yeah. And then uh, last one on their list, at least UGC, which I don't ever say <laughs> it stands for user generated content. And so this uh, obviously is content created by users. 
really what, what that means is, is like your fan base, right? Like you're not paying to have content created. Therefore, you're not doing it within the organization. It's not done by an employee that's being paid to create content or by an agency or something like that, user-generated content, i.e. your fans. So think think a lot about certainly artists, you know, musical artists, if you will. They get people that cover their songs or they do something on Instagram where they're singing along, you know, and, and that, that kind of stuff. So those are some pretty good ones, but there are probably others that spring to mind. I know that we haven't mentioned three that are kind of important and that are actually going to be part of the second half of our show. But are there any others that jumped your mind, Reed? I mean, we talked about SEO and SEM and PPC and you know, all the common ones, certainly. I think we could probably go deeper on the ROI side. There's probably some things on the physician side, even uh, like PRM, for example, or something like that, you know, that come to mind, certainly. And I remember a term that we were throwing around, oh, almost... 10 years ago when you and I first got to know each other, read SMO, social media optimization. That is optimizing your social media presences so that people can find you as they're looking through. I don't see that term being used a lot lately. I think it went away with clout. (laughs) Well, there are probably many others that come to mind. Um, And if anybody listening in have any other three-letter acronyms that we haven't mentioned yet, We'd love to hear from you. There are three, maybe four three-letter acronyms that we still haven't discussed. Arguably, the most important three-letter acronyms that when you're dealing with marketing, technology, digital marketing, we need to understand. But we'll get to that after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so we have covered an awful lot of three-letter acronyms to this point, but like you alluded to before the break, uh, there are a couple that we have not touched on, right? There's some really important ones that we haven't touched on yet, but in order to understand those more, it probably would be important to understand the evolution of the marketing technologist role. We've talked about marketing technologists before, read in, in so many words before, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. So is that a data scientist? No, kind, well, no probably not. In part. Sort of. Sort of. I mean, it it overlaps, right? Probably has to do with a lot of those uh, three-letter acronyms that we talked about before the break. Yeah. So we found an article here, though, that talks about how marketing technology roles have changed over the last five years. This was written last year, so they may have changed even more This, you know, since this was last written in 2020. They started off by saying that five years ago, the role of the marketing technologist was in its infancy. Because at that time, the MarTech landscape was comprised of a mere 1,000 solutions. And nobody had even heard of Cambridge Analytica Uh, then. 
A thousand. Yeah, but now they say that MarTech has over 7,000 solutions. The MarTech landscape does. And the new product launches and integrations are happening all the time. So it might be good for us to reorient around what this means to be a marketing technologist. Back in a simpler time. Back <laughs> in a simpler time. What they talk about in this article, which I, you know, I, I've always liked this site, the martechtoday.com site. Um, so if, you, if you're not familiar with the site, go check it out, certainly. But what they talk about is that marketing technologists are no longer considered the outsiders, you know, somebody in the you know, Wild West just doing weird stuff, right? That they really play a, an integral or a key role within the marketing organization and with the organization as a whole, I would argue. Uh, that MarTech is now uh, marketing and MarTech, marketing technologists are just marketers. This goes back to, and I, you've said this before, and you know it's like you know we're not doing digital marketing, we're just doing marketing. It's a similar argument, I guess, or viewpoint here. It certainly is, and you know th- this viewpoint is not just shared by us; it's others who have done this as well. There's a, a gentleman by the name of Scott Brinker, who is the MarTech conference chair and the voice behind chiefmartech.com. Five years ago, he came up with a list of six primary marketing technologist roles. But what's happened is in the evolution over the last you know five years, he's had to come back and kind of redefine those. And so now they're narrowed down from six to four major roles. So th- this is interesting. And man, if somebody could get their organization to hire this, these exact job titles. I don't care what the person does, but if you could get this on somebody's business card, that would be spectacular. The first one is operations orchestrator. Um, this person is responsible, they say, for implementing and managing MarTech systems. They're the maestros, if you will, according to Brinker, the ones who support all the other MarTech roles and are often given the marketing operations or kind of that CRM admin title. I'm familiar with that role, but I haven't seen that title description before. I think if you get that title, you have to get a little tiny, one of those little batons that the orchestrator uses. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The second role is what he calls the brand demand builder. This is usually a marketer who's using MarTech to conduct their work, implementing different platforms to run and manage marketing campaigns. The vast majority of people that are quote-unquote marketing technologists, Brinker suggests that they fall into this category. So the person kind of, you know, using all of the platforms to create marketing campaigns. I think that makes sense, right? There's a lot of people that I know that actually do that at health systems right now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's probably maybe the most common uh, of these. Uh yeah, probably. I'm kind of looking through them here. But the third one that he talks about is the analytics architect. Again, not something we'll see at a hospital anytime soon, at least not in that in, in name, at least. It talks about the fact that they're the quote-unquote modelers. You know, they focus on the structure, the infrastructure of data collected by all these marketing systems and the organization as a whole. Uh, usually known within the team as a marketing analyst or data scientist, data engineer, a little more common, still not that common in hospitals, but the analytics architect are rarely found at smaller companies, which I would agree. And actually, I've got a point, a larger point once we kind of go through here to that to that end. Okay. Let's address the fourth role, the marketing maker. 
the builder of those custom apps and digital experiences. And so this could be people that are like web developers, mm-hmm. marketing engineers, coders. They're usually the parts of the team that actually work with the code. They could be usability people, UX, UI people as well. And Brinker goes on to say here that with the latest crop of no-code and low-code MarTech solutions means that this role doesn't necessarily have to be expert coders as they once were. So that's why they're more of like, you know, the the user experience type of people. They're dragon droppers, if you will. (laughs) But if you look at those, the operations orchestrator brand slash demand builder, analytics architect, uh, and marketing maker. I would make the argument, you know, he says in there, I think around the analytics architect that they're rarely found at smaller companies. I would say most of these are rarely found at certainly smaller healthcare organizations, but even some of the larger ones, and that these four roles may be one person. That is true. At smaller organizations, for sure. And oftentimes they have partners or vendors that work with them that kind of fulfill some of those roles. So, you know, developing the analytics to report out on success, or you might have a, a digital agency that builds out your websites, that sort of thing. Uh, through this all, he actually devised a fifth archetype because, of course, he couldn't restrict it to four. He had to grow it to five. Yes. Uh, and the fifth one is simply called the manager as he describes it, an executive who essentially oversees the breadth of the marketing technology and operations team. Now, some businesses have added this as a leadership role in the C-suite. So you hear about like chief marketing technology officers work really closely side by side with the chief marketing officer. But lately, they've observed that there's a trend of major brands of dropping the chief marketing officer role for chief digital officers and even chief customer officers. And we've seen that happen in our space too, right? Yeah. Chief consumer officer, certainly uh, Matt Gove, formerly from Piedmont, that was his uh, title there. And I will say kind of backing up a little bit, this idea that the, the chief marketing technology officer, I would say with a lot of healthcare systems I work with, that is the CIO. Mm-hmm. Now that's not his only role or her only role, certainly, but they're playing that role the marketing technology officer. They're getting brought into conversations that we're having with organizations around choosing new internal comms tools or intranet solutions or CMS or CRMs or whatever, right? Um, the, the IT function within the organization is playing a role and they're usually that executive sponsor there. We, you know, we've kind of beaten around the bush around all of these different acronyms. And I think it's important for us to, we're going to go deeper into this interview that we have in just a moment with Tom Heilman to talk about these acronyms, but two of them kind of spring to mind. And I think it would be important for you and I to just briefly touch on this CRM, which we haven't talked about before, customer relationship management and CDP. So let's talk about the differences between those very quickly here. CDP, just now legal in most states. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that oil only or can you i don't know if that's gummies uh, right i i take gummies, them i take okay. my cdb as gummies <laughs> i wasn't sure uh, i'm not sure what the status is here in tennessee yeah so first first article uh cms wire also a great great website a lot of insight around content management systems obviously in the name but kind of this uh, experience piece and some of the other martech pieces so uh, name of the article, what's the difference between CRM and CDP, and most importantly, why you should care? Well, they start out talking about CDP, customer data platforms. 
they quote unquote consolidate and integrate data from multiple heterogeneous sources into a single trusted repository that supplies accurate data, accurate consume, uh, customer data to analytical and operational systems through the MarTech stack. Whew, that's a that's a mouthful, and that's according to Forrester. Let's let's break that down for just just one second here before we get over to CRMs. So customer data platforms, they consolidate and integrate data from multiple sources into a single trusted repository that then supplies that customer data back to analytical and operational systems through marketing technology stack. And so what's interesting why this is kind of different, Reed, if you think about that, is because oftentimes when we talk about CRM, which is the technology for managing all of your customers, your company's relationships and interactions with customers and potential customers, many CRMs have CDP kind of built into it or have it as an extension. But think about like, you know, CDPs go out and they pull in data from third-party sources and they could, you know, do like sort of predictive modeling. They could pull in longitudinal data from other sources and allow you to do more targeted communications. You could connect your advertising platforms to your CDP. So, you know, when we talk about CRM, CRM in the definition is an operational system. CDP connects to that operational system, but it also uh, allows you to do analytics on top of it. It's it's really a nuanced type of technology. They kind of break down the differences here. Ideally, CRMs and CDPs work together with CRMs to benefit from a diverse set of customer feedback signals that are kind of consolidated and organized within your CDP. Maybe even like your marketing automation platform can be a little bit of a CDP in this case. Yeah, and this this goes back to a larger discussion around what what is somebody saying when they say these terms, right? Because a little bit of this is tomato tomato kind of scenario, right? Is like we're all talking about the same thing and using different three letter acronyms. It talks about you know some of the, the the drivers and differences here by centralizing customer interaction data. CDPs help facilitate intelligent and informed consumer engagement across delivery systems. So it talks about the easiest way to delineate kind of between CRM and CDP is that the primary purpose of a CDP is for marketing and tracking activities of those customers. While the CRM is used for managing customer interactions, business transactions, ultimately internal process management. So it's clear as mud. Clear as mud. Well, I think with that, it's a good time for us to pivot over to the interview that we had with Tom Heilman because it still confused me until I had this conversation with him. And in it, we sat down and we walked through not only the differences between CRM and CDP, but we got into the EDW and another technology, another three-letter acronym that we haven't even discussed yet in this show. But we'll hear about that after the break with this great interview. So stick around. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment of the podcast. And today we have someone that's been on the show before, and that's uh, Tom Heilman. Tom, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I just love having conversations with you. But, you know, people listening in, some people may not know who you are or your background. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Chris. 
So uh, Tom Heilman with the Heilman Group, uh, we're a digital marketing uh, agency that specializes in healthcare, uh, specifically uh, healthcare, integrated healthcare systems, uh, providers, uh, and a few other areas in the healthcare arena. We help our customers connect with their patients or physicians, depending upon uh, which channel they're working through, uh, to communicate with them effectively, to acquire, retain, and continue to engage them. You have a widespread expertise, and today I've asked you to come on the show to help us kind of dispel the myths or maybe even the confusions around some three-letter acronyms that we often use in this space, Um, and those are CRM, CDP, and DMP. I know that Reed and I always make fun of three-letter acronyms, but these are three three three-letter acronyms that often cause a lot of confusion. Oh, absolutely. Actually, I'll add one more, EDW as well. The Enterprise Data Warehouse is often um, affiliated with some of the things we're going to talk about together, specifically with the CDP and the CRM. Well, let's let's go through and let's define those, um, you know, for our audience. I think CRM is probably one of the easiest ones for them to at least conceptualize because many of them have it. I think sixty percent of hospitals use some form of CRM, and that's a customer relationship management database. But maybe in in your shorthand, can you give a little definition of of how we see this being um, used in our space? Sure, for CRM, so customer relationship management, uh, it's been around for a long time. Um, our friend Salesforce, the, uh, uh, who are known for it today, but actually the platform has been along much before that from Siebel Systems and other folks. Uh, essentially, a customer relationship management is managing the interactions, data, and activities that you have with your customer. Now, customer can be broadly defined. In healthcare, it's typically one of three audiences, typically patients, it's a primary audience people often think about there, but also providers, typically physicians or clinicians in a contracted world or where you have physician alliances, um, often have to have to manage that part of the B2B side of healthcare business. And then the caregivers or the employees themselves, some um, CRMs leverage communications to the employee base there. So typically those are the three audiences that you have. And then there's a variety of features that it provides in terms of interaction with those as well as managing the core set of data uh, for those audiences. Okay. I, I think that, like I said, that's probably the easiest one for us to grasp. But then there's these these other acronyms. So let's start with the next one uh, that I feel is, is, is sometimes interchanged with CRM, maybe incorrectly, and that would be uh, CDP or the Consumer Data Platform. Can you define that for us? The Customer Data Platform is essentially – how it differentiates from CRM is it's the, it's the centralized place for all of your customer data. So what it does is essentially manages the intake of customer data from a variety of different um, locations. We'll talk about that more in a second. Centralizes it, standardizes it, and, and puts it into an actionable, uh, an actionable format that you can use for other systems to run. So it's essentially your central data hub. It does a lot of um, extraction, transformation, and loading. So ETL to use ITA to use IT speak, but for another three letter one out there, but essentially bringing in data, getting it cleaned and organized into a useful format that we can then leverage for other activities, primarily marketing and sales activities for a CDP. So when you look at CRM and CDP, they're interrelated. Tell us a little bit about how you see those two platforms or those two technologies working together. Yeah. So typically, um, so they're adjacent technologies. I mean, typically they work together. CRMs are not very good at managing ingesting data or bringing data in. They're typically work off of a, of a standard data model that they have. 
So they're activity based. They're great for tracking that you and I, for instance, spoke or you and I met an event. If you're um, if a patient had an encounter, that information can be tracked or if they visited a call center, or I shouldn't say visited, phoned in on a call center or had a remote visit. They, they can track those kinds of activities, but they're not good at bringing in data from other systems. So, for instance, in a healthcare environment, you may have financial data, uh, insurance or readiness for a patient to be able to pay. Um, you may also have data from EPICS or the EMR systems that you want to incorporate in terms of some historical information. Uh, CRMs are typically tied through fire or some uh, protocol to integrate with the data, but they don't do a good job of kind of managing and cleaning that. And then, of course, you have all your digital data that you have, either from website analytics, uh, from the DMP we'll talk about here in a little bit, uh, so from interactions across advertising, digital interactions, web, mobile, all of those pieces. So the CDP is really the hub to pull all that information together. The CRM is really the place that takes action on that and provides that user interface um, and for the healthcare system's personnel to interact with the patients or the providers. I really appreciate this deep dive. It's really helping clarify some things with me. Um, but you did mention another three-letter acronym, the Data Management Platform, or the DMP. Share a little bit about what that is from your perspective. Yeah, so typically this manages the digital marketing aspects of your business, the DMP. It will do the tracking cross-site. It will do, um, so for web interactions, the digital front door, you might have had, I think, in a couple of your other uh, podcast sessions, Chris. So it's essentially the backbone of the digital marketing engagement, whether that's social, whether that's email marketing, whether that's um, the web um, analytics, and it pulls and manages all those interactions, both inbound and outbound through that. So the, the DMP's primary purpose is to manage and collect data uh, in those interactions in that space. Ah, I think I'm understanding it now. It's kind of like as you look at your marketing technology stack, the DMP is sort of at the top layer that where you engage, where you're basically the interactions with uh, people on your digital platforms. And then it kind of filters through the CRM is sort of the activation part of it. And the CDP is the under underlying um, platform that kind of is a single source. Is that a right way to kind of put all those pieces together? Yeah, in, in, in general, you, you're right on there. So the, the, you, you've got it. The, the It gets muddy when it comes to CDP and um, CRM, particularly, because they do they both manage customer data, but their focus is different. And then if you mix in the next three-letter acronym, EDW, Enterprise Data Warehouse, um, that's another way to manage data. But uh, typically, many of our health systems we've talked to, they will have an EDW in place. Sometimes they call these data lakes or... Um, farms or whatever they meant. There's a lot of um, jargon out there, but that's typically an IT execution and it's typically across all aspects of the enterprise. So not just customers and marketing and sales side activities, but also it manages the, the data from other areas in the enterprise. So that could be could be epic data, it could be insurance, financial data on that. EDWs tend to be broader based than what we typically talk about in the marketing side of the house. Yeah, I find in my experience, EDWs can be tied into the marketing technology side of the house, but it also powers all these other platforms or these other areas of the business. And that, so when we talk about this concept of like big data in healthcare, we're talking about sort of the ecosystem of all of these various different platforms, the, the four three-letter acronyms we discussed, and a little bit more too. Is that, is that the right way to kind of look at this? Yeah, if you think about, uh, we used to call it the MarTech stack, although I think we need probably rename that to be a bit broader because um, the technology stack for uh, healthcare is, 
is expanded. But yeah, there, there, there's certainly these are major systems that you have to have in order to, to create that. Uh, that I think the end goal for all these is to have a 360 degree view of your customer, your patient in this example, or provider if you're, if you're doing the B2B side of the business. But it's to really understand them and all those interactions. And then ideally, you're managing a real-time profile of those individuals and then using your DMP to interact with those folks based on that real-time profile to give people the personalized journey that they want when they engage with your health system. Okay, I'm it's, I'm like drawing a little a diagram on a piece of paper here as we're talking about this because it gets very complex. And I would imagine that as you're working with hospitals and health systems, they're using various levels of these technologies or these platforms in their space. As I mentioned, alluded to before, I've seen some studies that say about 60% of hospitals use CRM. But in your experience, Tom, when you work with organizations, do all organizations use all of these uh, different a three-letter acronym, so to speak? No, t- typically they don't. Um, I would dispute the 60% claim that the same one that I've seen out there is that um, very few healthcare organizations have enterprise-wide CRM. Some do. That's a much smaller number. Most folks that have implemented CRM have typically been in a more of a niche or departmental level of a healthcare organization. So typically managing provider networks or the B- a little bit of the B2B function or some level at the call center where they may have a CRM kind of piece of functionality. So I don't think the adoption at the full-scale enterprise level is nearly as large as they quote, because uh, many health systems I know are kind of in those early stages of doing those larger adoptions. But most folks have of two or three of these pieces. Most They don't have all of them. Um, some would ar- I would argue you might not need all of those pieces. I certainly think you need a CRM to house that data and some either a CDP or an EDW to be kind of that data aggregation and ingestion, cleaning and organizing that, managing that plot, managing that profile. Um, but not, most people don't have all of them. And if they do, they're kind of fragmented because they've never put them together in a holistic manner. When you describe these four different technologies, right, it, this sounds to me more like um, industries that are outside of healthcare, right? Like the people that are much more consumer facing, like an Amazon, I would imagine, or people that have a really good understanding of their customer kind of layer all these pieces together to have a, that more of that, three, like you called it, the 360 view of your customer through data. Um, but in healthcare, we, we tend to be lagging behind in many cases. You alluded to, though, that CRM is probably an important component of, of the stack. If organizations that suddenly are like, you know, or people listening in are going, wait, I don't have a CDP or I don't have a DMP or I, you know, or I'm not connected to the EDW in my system. What would you think that would be, um, you know, an important next logical step for them? It obviously depends on where they are at the moment, but if we, I'll make a few assumptions and then we can kind of converse from there. One is, I mean, I think having a fundamental system to track your customer information is, you can attack it. Most people attack it one of two ways so far. They've either used their DMP or they use their CRM to attack, to be their kind of system of record for that. And people have modified DMPs and marketing automation platforms have more of a customer profile in many ways. Not always the best approach, but it's certainly a workable approach. So I think it's really important to have one place where you have your fundamental data, your source of truth, whatever you like to call that. I personally think that you should, the, the, the two most important pieces of that stack are 
the DMP marketing automation and the CRM. Because I think the two things that you need to do there, you need to be able to communicate and connect and engage in the world that we live in today. And number two, you need to be able to track those interactions through the CRM and also manage those activities because those are tip the more traditional physical activities, visits to locations. They may be the access center calls in um, virtual visits and, and specifically in the world of COVID we live in are another key, um, key part of that. So those to me are the two primary platforms um, that you need. The third one then is either the CDP or the EW because typically you're pulling in information from other places that may not match perfectly to the DMP or the CRM. So that next level, that's also how you typically get your close group reporting because a lot of our clients want to know what's our return on marketing, right? And so that you have to be able to tie back to patients to care. And that typically means going into your enterprise financial systems and, and medical systems. Yeah, uh, that that completely makes sense to me. Again, I love we're having a, such a nerdy talk here, Tom, but I love it because, uh, quite frankly, when we get into the space, I even see some of these vendors of CRM vendors. They're they're kind of attesting to the fact that their CRM has like a DMP or a CDP attached to it or built within the program, but within the, the overall platform. And I think that that to a certain extent, they they offer some of those characteristics, but they're not. You know, I don't see a one-size-fits-all solution that covers all of this. Have you seen that? No, no. And I think a one-size-fits-all is probably a bad approach because they probably don't do. They probably don't don't do parts of it well. I mean, Salesforce will argue that they have all the pieces, uh, but they certainly have CRM. They're certainly strong there, but much less uh, in in the, some of the other aspects of it. So um, typically, no. I don't. I know no one. There's several vendors that say that you can do all of the stuff with them, uh, but none of them really have a complete solution, nor do I think they ever will. It's just because it's such a there's – so, there's so many facets to it, it's hard to believe that you can do them all well. Right. And in order to do this the right way, too, it requires a deep integration of your MarTech, right? Maybe we're, we're going to call it the formerly known, the, the the technology stack formerly known as the MarTech stack, because I, I agree, it's it's got to now integrate with all these other systems across the enterprise in order for it to truly provide the value that you're looking for. Is that fair? Yeah, very fair. You know, as we move further and further down this path of where marketing is evolving to become engagement about the engagement and the experience, that just necessitates that the MarTech stack now has to be completely integrated across the the entire operational stack. And so I see there's a lot of challenges with organizations that go down that path, though. I mean, it's a complex world. You're at, you're talking about typically enterprise enterprise um, implementations to get the value. So let's talk that for a second. If you're going to go enterprise, it means you need to have a cross-sectional group of folks across the different departments in the organization. You need to get them all to agree, right? Agree on common language, on common data models, on what your on your goals and, and why everyone needs to be involved with that. So that's difficult organizational change management. Just because most of the folks that we work with and are on these on this podcast listening, they're large enterprises, right? So there's thousands, tens of thousands, maybe in some cases, hundreds of thousands of employees. And trying to work across that is very difficult for any enterprise system, let alone one that's managing data at that level. So I think change management is typically the hardest, is one of the hardest things organizationally. I think getting people to understand the why uh, and communicating that's part of change management, but why we're doing this and then what that value prop is going to be and how in the end 
It's about serving the patient better or the physician better. I think that makes it particularly difficult. Um, I think I think of the fragmentation of data. I mean, if you, and we could probably spend all day talking about this, Chris, but so many folks have um, just tens and hundreds of systems that they use to capture data, including Excel and different places that they have it scattered everywhere, trying to put that together into a, a usable format and getting people to agree on all that and then managing it and governing that whole process is a very difficult endeavor. High value, um, but a heavy lift. Right, right. And some of the organizations that actually do this very well, they started with that sort of that vision of this is where we want to eventually grow our our tech stack to support getting the value of that data. I find it also to be really hard if you're coming in sort of midstream and maybe you have some of the legacy systems in place. Many organizations have like a legacy EDW, for example, um, you know, and now we're starting to bolt on these other technologies that suddenly uh, causes a lot of confusion. And almost like a chance to like press pause and say, wait a second, is are our data models, are our data structures the right way? Are what is our end goal of us trying to accomplish this? I'm a big Stephen Covey guy, so I begin with the end in mind, right? So if we can understand that, I think that's probably the one of the parts of strategy that gets lost the most, right? So we talk about enterprise data models, and we talk about governance, we talk about these 360 views of the customer. But at the end of the day, what are we trying to do, right? And I think at the end of the day, we're trying to provide world-class care for these folks, right? So what does that mean? That means engage, having, letting that patient engage you where they want, when they want, how they want, in a personalized manner that, rep, that represents your brand, right? That's a heck of an ask, right? Across multiple more marketing and communication channels than we've had in the history of mankind, right? So at virtual health to call centers, to social, to email, to web, to mobile, all these different mechanisms that were beyond NPR and and traditional radio, television, all those things, right? So we have an unenviable job, but our customers demanded of us and they're getting it from people outside of healthcare. You often, um, they wanna be as easy as Amazon, right? Well, that, that requires effort, cost, scale, and so, that's a great challenge in front of us, but it's a great opportunity because at this time in our in, the, in our lives, we've never had people more interested in their health for good reason. And I think as marketers, we have a unique opportunity to help our patients connect with these health systems in a lifelong manner uh, in a way that we've never been able to. So if people are really interested, they're really hungry website traffic's up, engagement's up across the board on everything, right? If we can connect through the pandemic and build those relationships, make those connections, drive people into using all of the digital tools that we have today, we can really revolutionize the healthcare experience from from a marketing and communications perspective. So it's challenging right now, and I get that, but it's a great, to me, this is the greatest opportunity in our lives as as marketers um, in healthcare to communicate right now. We have we have an active and engaged audience. I, I like that. I think that that is a very good, powerful and positive message for the future. But before we wrap this conversation, I just do have to, in my mind, and we actually talked about this just prior to pressing record today, you know, what about that smaller rural hospital? Um, you know, when we start talking about things like this, like, you know, all this technology stack, to them, they may not have access, not only from a budget perspective, but, you know, their systems, et cetera, they may not be there. It, it, should they also be on this noble path of, of 
of trying to build that view of customer? And if so, what are some ways, advice you can give them? Yeah, no, no. And the rural health is near and dear to my heart. I grew up in a, I was born in a rural hospital, a town of less than uh, 4,000 people. And I've lived most of my young life in small towns. So rural health is near and dear to me. So they, they do have unique challenges, right? So they don't have the funding. They don't have the the budgets that the larger health systems do. They probably don't have the sophistication of the IT team and internal systems that others do. So it's a daunting proposition. And will they be able to do everything I talked about? Probably not. But here's, I think, the, the, the great challenge and, and the great opportunity that they have. They have a, a smaller set of folks that they interact with that they know really, really well, right? So they have high degree of touch. Um, these folks typically have lived in the area for a long time, right? So the nature of transient folks coming in and out isn't, isn't as high. So I think what they can do is that if I were the CMO or the CIO of one of those organizations, I would fo- focus on a few core systems and do them really well, right? So I would probably focus on a smaller scale CRM and integrate that with my EMR and then, pro- and then work on just delivering world-class in my sphere communications to my audience, who I would know better than a larger audience in an in a urban center that you might have or urban slash suburban, right? So I think they can really know their patients better. And then they have to simplify their approach, go with a simpler CRM and integrate data from an EMR is probably what they need mostly. Uh, and then build communications around that and some of the digital platforms. The good news is, is that almost all these platforms don't need to be hosted internal anymore. So the cost structure and expense that's been traditional, they now can get in a SaaS model for a lot lower cost and investment and manage that. It'll still be hard, but I think if they keep it simple and they focus on the vital few uh, with their with their understanding of their patient population, I think they can do a really great job. That's an inspiring message as well, Tom. You're full of great optimism here, and I like that. Um, Tom, this has been a great conversation. I always love to go deep and techy and geeky with with people, and you're always a great one to do that because of your your widespread knowledge. But you know, people listening in, they may want to continue the conversation with you online. What are some ways they could reach out to you? Oh, sure. They can certainly uh, reach me through our website, heilmangroup.com. Um, you certainly can reach me through LinkedIn at slash Tom Heilman uh, or through email at Tom at heilmangroup.com. Any of those ways get you there. I also am typically where we bump into each other a lot, uh, or we used to physically uh, at, speak at HCIC, Shishmed, HMPSS, um, and a bunch of the other conferences throughout the healthcare space. But Sure. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes. And uh, definitely, uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to have in-person conferences in the future here, too. And so I look forward to that time where we can talk face to face again with everybody. So, Tom, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate the conversation. Chris, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure as always. Special thanks to Tom for coming on the show. Um, this is a really interesting space for me personally. I just I enjoy numbers, as I know you do, uh, ROI, metrics, KPIs, you know, systems, technology, kind of how all this stuff works together and how we can be smarter because of it. And so it's, uh, it's great to have expertise uh, on the show, certainly uh, talking into some of this space. Again, quick plug, Binary Fountain, our friends over there uh, in their series of on-demand, short and impactful 
webinars still out there. Go check that out. Sign up for the TPS report over at touchpoint.health if you have not already. And uh, let's do a couple of recommendations. Okay, Reed, I'm going to recommend a TV show that I just started watching on the Sci-Fi channel, and it's called Resident Alien. Have you heard of this show? Heard of it. Don't know a thing about it. Well, let me uh, let me share with you what it is. So only one episode has run so far. Small town in Colorado where there is a person who was kind of living isolated, fishing on the lake, and he was pulled in to a murder mystery. But it turns out that this guy is also an alien, like from a UFO. His UFO crashed in the mountains, and he assumed the life of this doctor. And now he was trying to just stay kind of isolated and not interact with the town. Well, he suddenly got pulled right into the biggest mystery of the town. So it's a small town, murder mystery, and aliens. Totally hilarious. A great show. Uh, So again, Resident Alien, it's on Sci-Fi Network. We watch it off of Hulu Plus, but I'm sure you could get it directly through their website as well or through their app because I'm sure they have an app. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, You know what? I'll go ahead. Same thematic uh, track here. I'll also recommend a TV show or a series, if you will. It's on streaming. I believe it's HBO Max. Uh, which we have for free, I believe, because we're AT&T. So side tip there, if you have AT&T, you might can get it for free, I guess. The Flight Attendant. Oh, I've heard of that. So it's a dark comedy is how they bill it. I I don't know that I would use the word comedy at all. Uh, It is dark. So keep that in mind. But it's kind of a thriller, murder. I mean, there's uh, certainly some comedic pieces in there. Anyway, really, really interesting uh, about a flight attendant, obviously, uh, who gets in a little bit of trouble overseas and uh, works throughout season one to clear her name. Saw where it got renewed for season two, and you, you'll understand with the way it ends that there are some other storylines that could carry into a second season, even though they kind of wrap up the main storyline in season one. So, so it's good because you do get some closure, but there's enough that you're like, oh, this will be cool. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying maybe what they do with season two. So I mean, the flight attendant, hmm. it's, I think it's eight episodes. They're all, they're all out currently. You know, I'm going to have to make a move to get HBO plus or HBO max. I forget which one it's called now, right? Yeah, but HBO max. Yep. I have to go do that again. I just check that out. It's a good recommendation. All right. Well, another good episode, episode 209 in the books. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening or streaming. Uh, Certainly reach out to us, Twitter, LinkedIn, usually the best way to find us. You can find us, obviously, through the website at touchpoint.health, along with our other shows and show hosts. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.